Okay, here we are, and my mouth is already dry. If someone wouldn't mind bringing me a glass of water, that would be tremendous. But here we are. Uh, just did a baby dedication. Some of you got chocolates because it's, as my children said, it's Women's Day. Um, notice uh, I now refer to it as Gender Inequality Day because the guys didn't get chocolates today. I'm not bitter about that. Um, but here we are preaching about singleness, talking about singleness. This is actually a really weird thing for us to talk about, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure if you were in any other context that there would ever be this issue of talking about singleness and something that, that really is so serious on, on such what's supposed to be a really beautiful, awesome day. But, but here's the thing. Now, thank you so much, Simon. Everyone, Simon, give him a hand. You are one for three today. <laughs> it's a day when we're all thinking about some sort of relationship. It's a day when, I, at least I hope, most of you, if not all of you, are at least putting a call in, at least a text to your moms saying thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you that I do have a mother. Thank you that you did bring me into this world. I, I know that it is kind of a hallmark day, but I think it's a great opportunity to talk about these relationships. But, but really, you know, when we were designing the series, the reason why we didn't start off with marriage, but instead started off with singleness is because we all really begin as singles. And we wanted the whole series to just kind of model the, the general process by which people walk through some sort of relationships. And so the very first thing, you don't come out as a married kid. Well, at least not in our culture, you don't come out as a married kid. But it, even if you do come out as a married kid, you don't get married right away. Then you, you move toward generally friendship. And then if friendship really goes well with someone uh, of the opposite sex, and, and I have to say that in this context because there's so much confusion about what this actually means, you might get married. We still believe that marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. Yes, we do believe that. We will make that stand here. And then really we want to show you that that because of the fact that we are sinful, because of the fact that we... We are broken people who are struggling to know God and, and almost we're, we're cursed with this idea that we're, we're desperately trying to make our own way in life. It, it really all goes down the toilet. And so there is some destructive patterns that we find and there is brokenness and then we'll, we'll talk about that, how marriage does break down and then even we'll include in the, the last part of the series how sex has dis been distorted terribly by ourselves and how we misunderstand it. Uh, but let me make a little bit of an asterisk here. The reason why I say that this is such an odd topic for us to understand is, is that <clears throat> what we're talking about single, when we're talking about singles, singleness here, we're talking about celibate singleness. Which if you're not a Christian here this morning or if you're brand new to this idea sounds absolutely insane. It doesn't make any sense at all. And, and what I would say is, the text that we're going to look at here this morning in the Bible is not for just anyone. It's actually for someone who has already given Jesus Christ the authority over their lives. 
That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who has given Jesus Christ full authority over everything that they do. And so some often, they, they ask about things that Christians believe as if Christians are looking for some sort of moral compass to make themselves feel or look better than other people. Now that may be what's happened in your experience with people that are Christians, but that's not actually Christianity. Christianity isn't a set of morals whereby people can abstain from certain things to, to show that they've taken the moral high ground. Christians are people who have actually submitted themselves to the highest authority that we've been revealed, which is Jesus Christ, God become man. And to be a Christian is not simply to accept a set of morals, but to allow Jesus Christ to change your whole life. You have your life and you give it what you have in exchange for His life. He lived His life perfectly. He lived His life in complete obedience to God. He lived it as a man, so He was a human. Then He became a sacrifice and paid the penalty for your sin against God. And he said, if you believe I am who I say I am, then you can exchange my life for yours. All of your brokenness, all of your sinfulness, all of your hopelessness, all of your loneliness, everything that comes as being part of a human, you exchange it with Jesus Christ and you take what he has. Which means that your mission in life is not your mission in life anymore as a Christian. It's the mission that Jesus Christ gives to you. Now, you can't understand anything we say in this series without first understanding this. So if you're hoping this morning to kind of pick up a number of kind of good morals, I would say ignore the moral teaching in what we're going to say here this morning. That if you don't believe Jesus Christ is who He says He is, that He died, then rose again, paid the penalty in your place, He was who He said He was, then I don't want you to move any further than that. That's the primary thing that you need to understand. Because I know that our tendency will be, do you think that, that singleness is actually a gift? Do you believe that actually sex is something that's created only for a married, committed couple? Do you believe that? I only believe that because I have already submitted that Jesus Christ is full authority on this. And that if he has designs for marriage, then I listen to those designs for marriage. I don't, do you think for one second this is easy to say based upon the culture that we live in? Do you think it's normal? Do you think it's even helpful? Do you think if you walk into work on Monday morning, you say, hey, I heard a preacher say that we should be celibate when we're single. Do you think someone will look at you and go, oh, that's really noble of you. No, majority of the time, people will like, you are a moron. I would never go to that church. But this is why I want to say this and preclude this to say, don't think this is a moral that we're trying to pursue as Christians. It's not. In fact, in many ways, if it's just a moral, I would say, let's, let's get our ducks in a row and say, let's deal with what matters first before we ever deal with how that belief in Jesus Christ plays out. So when we talk about singleness, I think it's so important because we actually live in a very single culture. Right? When we started this church, there was a high number of single people. Um, I've been married, we, we celebrated 15 years 
this past week. So I speak as a married person experiencing what I feel is the best marriage around, but you'd probably have to ask my wife. She's probably a better representation of that. But from where I'm sitting, marriage is a great gift. And yet, there's a way in which we can understand marriage that places too much emphasis on it. And so I think it's important to talk about singleness because we, we seem to have these, these two types of cultures. And I'll get into that in a second, but I, I wanted to say I did some research, actually. Yeah, believe it or not, I did some research outside of the Bible. I know, crazy, hey? The 2014 Calgary census came up with 22 communities that average less than two people per, per dwelling. Think about that. Now, 22 dwellings that ha- average less than two people, 22 communities. That means there are 22 neighborhoods in our city where the average person, average person lives alone. You have to have a lot of, I, I don't know numbers that well, so math people, you tell me. You have to have a lot of ones to bring that number down below two, right? You have to have a significant an- amount of ones. And so that tells me that singleness is actually a really big issue. Did you know that 19 of those 22 communities are in the inner city? 19. So whatever percentage that, you figure it out, 19 of 22, I don't know what percentage that is. Someone? High. Good answer. High percentage. Mind you, these I don't think are a lot of celibate singles. (laughs) I would, I would make an educated guess and say there's a low percentage of celibate singles in that group. Meaning they have chosen not to have sex with their partners. I would say that um, there's a number of those that would say I, I have kind of a live-in boyfriend, live-in girlfriend. We're shacking up. That's an old term. I'm just showing you my age when I say that. We used to say, call it living in sin, of course. If you grew up in the church, that's funny. If you're not from the church, that's not at all funny. It's weird. <laughs> so there's all kinds of things going on here. But I think this is important for us to talk about because basically within the church, no one seems to be talking about this, but outside of the church, it's pretty normal. And so there's this, this kind of connection between these two things that we, we want to talk about here this morning, and and I want to deal with three things from a particular passage. And and the first one is how to view, the first thing we're going to deal with is how to view singleness as an idol. If you're new to church, that sounds weird to you, and let me explain what an idol is. An idol is, um, well, well, first of all, just let me say that we're all controlled by something. We all have some kind of compass within ourselves whereby it receives the highest allegiance. Okay? Jesus says, when you don't worship me, when you don't have me as your highest allegiance, whatever is in the way of me is an idol. Don't think of this as like a little wooden statue. That's how we often used to think of idols and we used to think of ourselves so much better than particularly in North America because we don't bow down to these little metal, you know, or these little wooden things or these religious ideals. No, we still have idols in our culture, but our our idols are very different. Our idols are pleasure and comfort, things that really get in the way of our relationship with God. And really, 
don't think of an idol as necessarily a bad thing. So an idol isn't really uh, murder. An, an idol is something usually good that is in place of your relationship with God. You see, we believe that everyone was created to be in relationship with God and in our right forms that God has the highest place in our life. And anything that gets in the way, and oftentimes it's, it's a good thing that gets in the way, that becomes our idol. Usually you can kind of find out your idols, you can find out what really means something to you, or you can, you can get a picture of it when you think of something that you couldn't do without. So, so do this little test with me. If you say, I simply couldn't not live without blank. Th- that really becomes often our idols, or it gives us a good clue or picture. Isn't it interesting that the majority of us who might say that we're Christians, probably put marriage or relationship in that blank. So it's interesting that something that we glorify, we make much of, something that's a really good gift from God can become, in that sense, an idol. And so I want to talk about how to view singleness as an idol. Some of you are like, I still don't get it. Okay, hang on. Secondly, we want to see how singleness can be a gift. I know, I just lost like half of you. Really? Singleness is a gift? Yes. The Bible instructs us when we think through the lenses of our relationship with Jesus Christ, singleness can actually be a gift. And lastly, how to have purpose in your singleness. Now, if you're married here, this is actually my call to you to pay even closer attention. Because I think one of the issues that singleness has become such a great idol is because there are two things that go on. And so as we, as we kind of get into this, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you a little bit about how easy it is to set something up as an idol and how singleness or how marriage uh, has been kind of worshipped in, in different cultures. But we, when we read things, we, we can't really read them very well um, unless we kind of consider the other kind of lenses that are going on. But I want to read the text for you first. So I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, is my battery cutting out here? Um, if you don't have a Bible here this morning, would you just raise your hand and someone would love to bring you a Bible? If that's your first Bible, we'd love for you to keep that Bible. Um, if it's not, um, we'd be happy for you to return it so you can use it uh, for someone else. But here's where I am in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25. And this is what it says. Now concerning the betrothed, that is, those who are going to be married, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Wow. That's strange right there, isn't it? And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. 
The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You see how that is so important to this argument. This isn't just, this isn't just words for anyone. These are people who are concerned with being devoted and serving their God. Now, Let's take a look at who would have first heard this. So this letter is written to um, Corinthians. That's why it's called 1 Corinthians. It's the first letter written to this particular church in this particular area. We don't know how big this church is. Uh, Some scholars have said it's only as big as 50 people because that's who could kind of fit in the home sizes at the time. But it was written to a city. Now, Corinth actually... um, was a city that was filled full of all kind of religious ideals. Didn't have a lot of Jewish people in it, so there wasn't kind of a Judeo, what we would know as Judeo-Christian values in it. It was a very metropolitan city. So there literally would have been um, all kinds of different trade going on, all kinds of different ideas, all kinds of different problems. Um, he's going to work back there while I preach. You have no idea how weird that feels. So um, it, it, was, it was a city that was probably one of the more progressive cities of its time. It would have been very liberal sexually um, in all kinds of different ways. Sounds really unlike Calgary, doesn't it? I, that's why I think this letter is so good for us, actually, is because it's, it's actually more in tune with the kind of culture that we would be familiar with than anything else. It's a good letter for us. And there's a group of Christians who have asked a number of questions of this Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was, was a guy who was basically in charge of starting churches in this particular area. Mostly the people that wouldn't have had a Jewish background or they would have called them Gentile background. And so Paul is writing to them and he's answering some of their questions. And they probably have a lot of questions that were like, we shouldn't ask this in case it ever gets back to Paul that I'm the one actually responsible for this action. So they asked really general questions. It didn't work because Paul continually pulled it out and he said, hey, I've heard about this. I've heard about this. It's like watching a movie with your parents, right? You don't see things normally and then your parents come and you're like, I didn't know that scene was in there. It just, it, I, yeah. It's kind of like Paul's doing this. Hey, I, I know what's going on. I'm not an idiot. It wasn't born yesterday. It didn't plant this church yesterday. He says, and here's, here's one of your questions. If, if, you know, if I'm not married, should I get married? If I'm married, should I get rid of my wife so I can focus my devotion on God? And, and Paul actually says, neither. Neither. And, re- and remember that, that the kind of understanding of culture that, that really has kind of set this whole thing up is we really come at it from a westernized uh, viewpoint of marriage. All of us really do except that we're, some, some of us are in the church, so we come kind of with an Eastern view of marriage. Now, the Western view of marriage is marriage is for me. Marriage is about my pleasure. Marriage is about my good. Where does that come from? Well, the Westernized viewpoint is very individualistic. 
we often think just about ourselves, just about what's good for me. This is why when you enjoy your marriage, you're in it. When you don't enjoy your marriage, you let it take a hike because it's not working for me. That's what culture will say. Do what feels good for you, not for the betterment of other people, not for the betterment of society, not to hold the fabric of our city together. Can you imagine someone saying, can you stay married to hold the fabric of our city together? They would look at you as if you were a moron. That's our westernized view of marriage. It really thinks honestly, and a lot of Christians think this way, that marriage is about making me happy. Okay, so that's kind of one idol. We worship this, we worship ourselves, and therefore our lenses toward marriage is when it works for me, I will get married. This explains why people aren't getting married. This explains why people are waiting a long time to get married. This explains why many people say marriage is going to hinder my career because actually my career is what's best for me. It's what I want to do. So that's the way I'll think about it. Now this clashes toward what I think would be part of what's going on in the text, which is a very Eastern view of marriage, which is you're not a real person unless you're married. Now you can see how sometimes it's like within the evangelical church or within the Christian church how some of these kind of views of marriage intertwine. In that particular culture, it would have been weird for you not to be married because it was like, dude, it's, this isn't about you. This is about like having somebody to take care of you when you're older. This is about having someone to pass your legacy on to. This is about you know, helping society move forward. This is about procreating. This is, this is not about you. This is about you know, finding your identity in the community. A problem with that is that's not totally true either. Because those with the Eastern view of marriage don't consider themselves real people until they actually become married. So single people, widow, children, those who are not able to reproduce, where do they sit in that kind of society? Or down here. Why do you think the Bible talks so often about orphans and widows, people that no one would marry or people that were too old to marry? Take care of those people because those people in that kind of understanding of marriage are the people that really don't have much of a say. Now here's what's crazy. As Christians, sometimes we're completely capable of worshiping both ideals of marriage. Within churches, I think Christian churches, we're guilty of placing too much emphasis on the Eastern view of marriage and basically saying people aren't real people until they actually get married. But we're also kind of selfishly, like I will, when, when it works for me, when I find the person who fits me, when I find out how it works for me, then I'll get married. So we have very successful people at worshiping both idols. If that makes any sense. Now this is the kind of culture that Paul is speaking into and this is the kind of culture that we are speaking into. We're probably within our church in kind of the Eastern view, bumping up against the Western view. He's in a church where they're in the Eastern view, bumping up against the Western view. We live in a culture that's completely Western and not at all Eastern. So you can imagine the difficulty in even talking about this because we're not even using the same terms or the same concepts when it comes to our understanding of marriage. But here's what Paul says to this. He says it's neither. 
You are not the end-all, be-all. And marriage isn't the end-all, be-all. It's not always exclusively about you. And you say, well, wait a second, it's not about me? No, that actually goes back to what I originally said about Jesus. If, he, if you have become a Christian, if you have committed yourself to Jesus Christ, you have said, Jesus, take my life, including my married life, including my sexual life, including all of those things, you get to design this, not me. But he also says this isn't true. If you're not married, you're still a real person. In fact, he would make the argument here that there's good things that come out of not being married. Somebody in their head is going, amen, I'll agree with that. Maybe not. That's how our culture probably thinks. Because marriage will bring us down. Marriage will show me how selfish I am. And so Paul says, this is, neither of these are true. In fact, there's a third way, and this is the gospel way. Which is, if I want to get married, I can get married. But actually to, to live as though I were not. Now he's not saying don't live as though you're not married. And I know all kinds of people who do this. <laughs> I, I know the guy's perspective, how easy it is to live as though you're not married. What I mean by that is when you feel like enjoying the good things in marriage, you enjoy them. When you don't feel like doing it, you, you take the easy way out and you do your own thing. And so this text really straightens both sides out and says marriage isn't the end-all be-all. But it also says you aren't the end-all be-all either. It allows us to understand the third way that when we have committed our lives to Jesus Christ, things can change. And we see things very, very differently. And I've seen, I've seen people on both sides of this because for us, for some, singleness can be an idol in this sense. I know lots of single people who think more about marriage than married people do. Do you know someone like that? Do you know someone who's like, oh man, if only I could get into a relationship, if only I, I could get married, then, then everything would go away. I could basically, you know, pleasure myself whenever I want. Wrong. That's an aside. We'll deal with that in week five. You better come back for that. Or that it's about me. Like marriage, it works for me. And you know, we, 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 we stopped being married just because, you know, we just, I just wasn't feeling it anymore. This is actually marriage isn't designed to be either. It's not designed to serve either idol. It's actually designed to serve Jesus Christ. And without that, we'll completely misunderstand the rest. And so now we move to singleness as a gift. I know that some would think who are in rough marriages, yeah, I can see that. I can see how singleness is a gift. And some of you have been in difficult marriages. Some of you have seen difficult marriages. On Mother's Day, I'm sure some of you are dreading going home to watch a difficult marriage all afternoon, which is why you only go out for dinner with your family on Mother's Day because it's just so painful to watch your mom and your dad try and actually hold a relationship together or you're trying to schedule dinner with mom or dad's second wife and your mom because you've just seen a couple give up. Uh, not that kind of gift. 
not that kind of gift. Singleness isn't intended on being a gift to, to just do whatever we want and, and just be about ourselves. Singleness is a gift because actually when you look carefully at it, well, first of all, Paul says time is short. Time is short. How many of you ever thought, maybe I shouldn't get married because time is short and I've got a lot to do for Jesus? Like, is, has that, Did that cross your thoughts as you journaled this morning through your Bible reading or... No, I'm judging by your silence this morning. It's not really what goes through our mind. But actually, the reason why it can be viewed as a gift is because time is actually really short. Only a Christian thinks this way. And here's what I'm saying, as our complete culture says, do what's good for you now. Make it last now. And in fact, why are we trying to be so healthy? It's to make our long lives so that we can enjoy what's here now. But the Christian, and we celebrate this at least once a year, and we try to celebrate it all the time, for the Christian, there's much more than this life. For the Christian, this life is as bad as it's ever going to get. But if we're Christians and we believe in Jesus Christ, he says, I will allow you to participate in this thing called redemption of the world that will one make one day take everything that's ever been wrong and make it completely right. And I am joining you on that mission to do this. And so it's a gift because it, it essentially doesn't distract you. Now that sounds really strange, right? What? I would give up a relationship, a marriage relationship? Really? To serve Jesus better? Yes, this is the argument that Paul's saying. But actually, Paul is very clear to say, look, look at, don't, don't misunderstand me, friends. If you really want to get married, it's not a sin. I'm not putting pressure on you not to get married. He gives you tons of freedom. He's just sim simply saying, time is short. I'm trying, look at, look at what he says in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxiety. Tell you, if you're married, have you ever felt anxiety as a result of your marriage? Is this not a common part of being married? Is he ever going to come home to me? Is he ever going to do what he says he does? Is she ever going to respect me? Is he ever going to quit work so that he can spend time with me? Like Paul is literally saying, I'm trying to help you with this. I'm trying to give you an option here whereby... You can understand singleness as a gift and not feel the pressure to be about you and not feel the pressure that you're not a real person unless you're married. He's saying, actually, if you love Jesus and that is your first priority, there is an option here that says you can forego what your culture says is necessary for you, which is a celibate, single life. I know some of you just laughed at that in your head. When it comes to being counterculture, could there be anything more countercultural in our society than Christians who love Jesus and say, actually, I could get married, but I'm choosing not only not to get married, but not to have sex either because I want to serve Jesus? You will get two responses to that. Total silence or what the heck? Tell me more. You won't kind of get an indifferent 
response to that. You'll get an uncomfortable, can we change the subject? Or you believe that much? And when you understand, again, that a Christian is someone who has laid out their life to bring glory, to reflect God, that he's in charge of the mission, then that makes sense. But if you don't understand that, this sounds like the weirdest moral of all time. I don't think there's anyone who would go, that, that's, that's kind of noble of those people. No. This is really the only way we can view singleness as a gift. But that's not really what some of us use our singleness for or have used our singleness for, is it? There are singles here. There are marrieds here. This is a call to say, actually, you can be as Western in your view of marriage as a single as if you are married. And you can make your singleness all about pursuing the greatest life that you ever had without a ball and chain. You can do that with your single life. You can still make it about you. You can still make it about your pleasure. You can still make it about your career. You can do all of those things. And actually, Paul says to the married, don't use your marriage as a way of tying you down so that you don't have mission to do. He says, don't use your singleness as a tie down of complaint that, oh, if I just could have marriage, I could do so much more. Paul says, literally, if you lined it up, you actually have more opportunities for relationships and friendships if you're single. You do. This argument happens all the time between marrieds and singles, and they argue about it all the time, right? You probably have a friend who got married. Then they got married, and then they couldn't hang out with you the same way anymore, right? And vice versa. You found that as you got married, it was more difficult to hang out with some of your single friends. Why? Because you don't like each other anymore or you've moved on? No, because the two schedules become one. That's why. When you're single, you've got one schedule to worry about. Yours. You do. I, 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 this is our marriage, basic marriage counseling that Leslie and I go through. This is why traveling is easier as a single person. You, you don't have two passports to worry about. You have one. You don't have two sets of luggage to worry about. You have one. You get married, you have two sets of luggage. You get married and have a kid, you have three sets of luggage. You, you get married and have two kids, you don't travel. <laughs> why? Because it gets complicated, that's why. That's it. And Paul says, actually, if you think about it, he says, I kind of wish all of you were as I was, single, so you had lots of opportunity to mission, but you're going to have to think about this as a gift, and you're going to have to want to use your singleness as a gift in order to see it as a gift. Again, I think this straightens out even, even marriage, that some of us have used marriage as an excuse not to do what Jesus has asked us to do. And we idolize marriage. You say, well, Jesus called me to be married. Now I'm married. Now I'm not supposed to do anything. It's not true. Dave and Shona, their primary mission together is to those two children. They got lots of stuff they can do. Lots of mission to do. Lots of people to tell about Jesus. Thirdly, so what's the purpose of singleness then? Purpose of singleness is simply this. Glorify Jesus with wherever you're at. 
if you're single, there's a purpose in this. There's a reason for this. Does that mean you can't ask for a spouse? No, you can ask every day if you want. Jesus says, ask for the things you think you need. But it's interesting, even as you say that, ask for the things you think you need, you begin to sort out between some of the things you think you need and some of the things you want. And some of you who are married and have had painful marriages, you say, you could probably wait a while. There are great things about marriage and there are difficult things about marriage. There are anxieties that come with marriage that just aren't there when you're a single person. So the purpose of singleness is really to glorify God. It's the same purpose as marriage, just to glorify God with wherever you're at. And so here, as we close, here are some four suggestions. I'm going to try and close this thing out as fast as I can. I think here are four recommendations that I have from the text. You're reading that correctly. First recommendation is taking marriage too seriously. Too seriously. Also, I didn't say, don't take marriage seriously. When Paul says here, you know, those who are not married live as though they're not married, he's saying, pretend your wife or your husband doesn't exist. He's not saying that. He says, pretend. No, he's not saying pretend. He's saying, live as though Jesus is still highest authority for you. And that if Jesus so wills, he can take away your marriage if he wants to. And guaranteed, this happens to people all the time. We're so ignorant of this sometimes. We live in a culture that really pretends that we're going to live forever. You're not going to live forever on this earth. At some point, your spouse is going to leave you. They're going to divorce you. They're going to hate you. They're going to die. It's not forever. Actually, when Jesus was even cornered about marriage and they were like, see, we, they, he had some people that were trying to disprove marriage to them. And so he said, okay, so let's say this guy gets married, his wife dies. Then he marries someone else, then she dies. Then he marries someone else, then she dies. Then he marries someone else and she dies. Okay, tough guy, Jesus, whose wife is in heaven? Jesus is like, doesn't exist the same way in heaven. If you guys just read your Bible, you'd pick up on this. And I think this is a good word, actually, especially for those of us who are married, that we can actually make an idol of this. We can hinge our entire spiritual life upon our marriage. That our complete emotional up and down rises and falls based upon our marriage. Did you know that's not God's design for you? Is marriage supposed to be a gift? Yes. Can it be great? My experience is it is great. But my experience is also it's not pain-free and it is not my highest priority. Jesus is. It's my second highest priority. But Jesus is my highest priority. I tell you, that knowledge in and of itself cools our jets on so many conflicts. It's so helpful in understanding the big picture. How this plays out is, I think sometimes as married couples and as as a church family that celebrates marriage really highly, we can put a lot of pressure on people. Maybe not with our words, but with our eyes, right? Maybe you felt it. Single person shows up, group of marrieds, everyone's like, okay, new ball game. Got to make sure we don't talk about sex anymore or whatever. There's a way we can do this, married people, 
that frustrates our single friends who are actually longing for marriage and struggling through this and, and facing months and months of loneliness. Because there, there are lonely parts to being single. I mean, you, you get lonely regardless, but I, I know many, many, many single people who are tremendously lonely, and that is something they battle on a daily basis. There's a way that we as married people can just take the pressure off and just say, hey, it isn't the end-all, be-all. We can help with this. I mean, uh, from the single perspective, it's like, uh, let's not put all our eggs in the one basket. I, I guaranteed, like, being married doesn't mean you get to have sex whenever you want to. It doesn't. Let's just say that out loud. It doesn't mean everything goes well in a relationship. It doesn't mean that you're pain-free. It doesn't, like, like, you can add continual pain. When you put two sinners who need Jesus together, you don't get a lack of sin. You get double the sin. And then you get people that respond sinfully to the sin. It gets complicated. So, Consider singleness as an option. You say, it's not a gift for me. Paul says, fine. Get married. Seriously. It's not a sin, he says. Secondly, taking singleness too lightly, which is kind of what I've already said. Maybe this is something that Jesus has for you in this particular stage of your life for a particular reason. This is not licensed for you to just find multiple sexual partners to feed that area of your life. Jesus clearly understands sex is something that's given to a married couple. It's a gift. We've distorted it and made it about our pleasure. It's not for exclusively our pleasure, although, and I'm speaking from experience, it is pleasurable. But let us not take singleness too lightly i would say this that i don't think there could be anything more culturally than our single people taking very seriously their call that jesus has on their life right now if there was a counter cultural thing to do that would be it going to church isn't nearly as countercultural as living a life that actually believes that jesus is in control of all of this thirdly I think this will be impossible, friends, if we, don't, if, if we take eternity too lightly. You have to put eternity into that mix. If you believe that this life here on earth is as good as it's going to get, then of course you're going to see things from a different perspective. But if you say this is actually as bad as it's ever going to get, which is what a Christian can say, what you face and what you suffer on this earth is as bad as things are ever going to get then you can view things actually very differently. You see, I don't think our pursuit of, I love this about John Piper. He said a couple weeks ago when I saw him in a conference, he said, I don't believe our pursuit of pleasure is wrong. He said, I think the timing is off. I love that. He says, Jesus has a plan for your ultimate eternal pleasure. And yes, He asks you to wait for some of those pleasures until then. 
Jesus said basically to these teachers that I told that story before. See, they kind of thought that this world was as great as it's going to get. So they maybe had experienced some great physical pleasures. And Jesus was said, heaven is going to be so good that you won't even need that stuff in the redeemed world. Think about that for a second. How great is Jesus making this redeemed world out to be? I think it's so helpful just to consider eternity in light of this. The reality is some of you don't know how long you're going to live. We have been graced, I think. I, I guess I would call it a grace, but at some point I'm going to do a funeral for a very young, young person in our congregation. It's just statistically true. I think it's some point I may have to do a baby. Some point I'm going to do a funeral of a teenager where people are going to say, if I only had known this person's life, I would have made different decisions based upon that. And Paul is saying, do that now. Make your decisions about life based upon the fact that you don't know your eternal state, that you don't know how long you have here on earth. Think that way. And so this is why I say, let us consider eternity as we make our decisions. Fourthly, taking choice too seriously. Uh, this is, it's, it's kind of funny, kind of not funny. It depends on who you talk to. But, but sometimes people don't get married because they're too picky. Let's just be honest. Some of you are snickering because you made a choice really fast or didn't make a choice very fast, or you know it. There's a funny little joke in my own marriage. I won't say it. You'll have to ask Leslie about it. But I think sometimes, because we think marriage is all about us, we're really, really, really picky. Hey, I'm not that picky. I'm just looking for someone, you know, who... who um, shares my passion for mountain biking and, and to, who will go to all these concerts with me because they like exactly the same bands and wears the same colors and dresses the same way and doesn't think the way, you know, votes the same way and, and lives in the same area of the city and has a job kind of in my area that I understand. I'm not that picky. I just, I just want someone just like that. It's, it's like, that's not what marriage is actually set out to be about about someone that fits into our little neat packages. I, I, I don't think in my life I could have found someone more opposite from my, who I am than Leslie at the time Dahlberg. Like, it's stunning. Like, you should hear us go on a trip sometime and, and even the discussion over the kinds of music that we will listen to. I want it loud and I want like indie techno pop. Okay? Cranked. She doesn't. She wants it quiet and not on. <laughs> the way we go on vacations is different. We've had to negotiate that. The kinds of colors we like, totally different. Our personalities in a lot of ways, very different. Our hobbies, I have lots of different hobbies. She doesn't have lots of different hobbies. She has one. Making fun of my hobbies. Friends, it's, I have a great marriage. Yeah, I'm bragging about that. But I'm saying, you don't need someone to perfectly fit in your category in order to get married. If you want to get married, friends, consider some things that really matter. Do they love Jesus? 
Do they want to follow Jesus with their whole life? Are they willing to allow Jesus to structure everything that goes on in life? Yes, you have more than you need to have a great marriage. You do. I'm saying this honestly to you. You say, yeah, well, what if I know? I don't know. You don't know everything. You can't know everything. So this, these are, I think, suggestions based upon that, friends. Now, again, Mother's Day. So odd for us. I know someone's laughing. It's like, I didn't, well, sorry, I did choose it. But I think this is very helpful in terms of of where our church is at. I know this can push buttons. I know some may be here this morning and you still haven't figured out the first part that I said and you're really offended by the rest of it. I, I, I get that. And we're willing to take that chance here as a church to talk openly about some things that we think and we believe because we want to provide some clarity. People have been asking relational questions for years at Urban Grace. This is the first time we've really broached the subject. And so my hope is that you hear that as a family talk, that this provides perhaps some conversation in the future, not the definitive, that's all there is to say about this particular issue. But I would, I would say, as I, it's a good time to call the band up. Because this is the time in our, in our series, our, our sermon, our, our uh, service, pardon me, where we just give you the opportunity to reconsider whether Jesus is on the throne of your life. By on the throne, I mean He rules. You have allowed Him, you have given Him. Some of you, you've realized, even over this process, that there's something else on the throne in your life. That even though you have good gifts, and you've been given a lot that there's something on the throne that doesn't belong on the throne of your life. And you want Jesus to retain His rightly place on the throne in your life. Then we celebrate this little meal every week to remind ourselves of that. Because Jesus came off His throne so that He could sit on your throne. Jesus was God become man. He came to this earth who was already rightly the ruler of the world. And he came to this earth so that he could provide you the opportunity to worship someone who is much more fulfilling than any single or married person in the world. And if you believe that, friends, we ask you to participate as a good reminder of that. There's bread, there's wine there, there's grape juice. These are symbols to remind you. The bread symbolizes flesh. Jesus came to this earth. He's not a myth. He's not just a good teacher. He, he was God become man. There's wine, there's juice to remind us that he just didn't come and live a good life and teach some good morals. That he actually sat in exchange of what you should have experienced so that you don't have to experience it. And if you believe that, friends, we would invite you to come forward and partake as we spend some time thinking and meditating, let me take this moment just to remind you again that if there are things you need to work through, like something y y you've, the usual response to someone else r telling you that you have someone else on the throne is anger. I don't know that for you, but if that's the case, I would 
ask you to consider coming up and praying with someone about that. There are reasons you feel that way. Steve, if you'd lead us.